Well, hello there. Welcome to the sex, dance, and fitness episode. Spoiler alert, we'll also be talking about careers in sex ed, and my guest, Dr. Timarie, sets me straight on where awesome work in human sexuality is happening. It turns out it's everywhere. Uh, this episode is lovingly sponsored by adamandeve.com. Type in promo code SEXNERD at checkout and you'll get free shipping, three free DVDs, a super secret gift, and, uh, oh wait, that's right, 50% off almost anything in the store. Uh, that's a lot of things. Um, yes, choices, love it. Uh, and since we're talking about dance, um, as a way to connect with your body, etc. Ooh, sexy sex stuff. Um, I went to the website and typed in dance and I saw that they have the fetish fantasy dance poll for $129.95. You'd be surprised how often people need uh, stripper poles for things. I, I don't know which things, but some things. So just so you know, they have that in case you would like to dance around it, which is very fun. Or strut around it, which is also fun. Or play fire person, fireman, firewoman. I, I support you in whatever it is that you like to do. So go to adamandeve.com, type in sex nerd at checkout so you can get that free shipping three free DVDs, a super secret gift, and of course, the 50% off almost any item in the store. You guys, it's so much fun for the whole family. Family meaning you and your genitals. Ooh, speaking of fun for the whole family, have you been watching Masters of Sex? You guys, you guys, Showtime, Sunday nights, DVR it, steal it from your friends, have a viewing party, whatever you want to do. Guys, are they paying me to say this? No. I just really, they should be paying me to say it because it's true. It's so good. And they just got, ah, they just got renewed for a second season. Very excited. So Masters of Sex, if you're not aware, it's a show on right now, um, almost to mid-season, all about Masters and Johnson, some founding fathers and mothers of human sexuality. They're strapping people up to machines to measure what's happening with their heart rate, etc. when they're getting off. Science. Ah. It's really good, and it's, it's lots of drama. Ooh, drama. Drama. Okay, it feels like Kinsey meets Mad Men. Oh, and even if you don't get around to watching the whole season, you guys, watch the intro. Just the opening credits to Masters of Sex is masterful. It's Innuendo City. I love it. I love it so much. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, also, merchandise. If you haven't gotten your Sex Nerd Sounder t-shirt yet, okay, there's so the secret t-shirts. That's what I'm calling them now because it doesn't say anything on it. It's just the logo. So it's like you can fist bump people that you see wearing the shirt. You guys, get the shirt. It's going to be awesome. Uh, they're 20 bucks and get Sex Nerd bags. I like putting my groceries in them. You can put whatever you'd like in them. The holidays are coming. Go to sexnerdsandra.merchtable.com, M-E-R-C-H, table.com, uh, to get those. Also, I'd like to wish a belated happy birthday to a listener I've met several times named Jeffrey Kungle. Jeffrey, happy birthday. Your wife tried getting me to say happy birthday on the podcast last month, and we missed each other because I was traveling, and I just wanted to say, I hope you had a good birthday, and I hope your next year is starting out well. Happy everything. Ah, so I hope that you enjoy this episode with Dr. Timory. Uh, we talk about all sorts of things. Um, and just in case you want to get more action uh, with us, I am also on her podcast that came out recently, Sex with Timory, and it's episode number 132. All right, horny people, get at it. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Sex Nerd Sandra Podcast. 
Whoa, what are these kids doing in here? Hey, if you're under 18, go ask your mom. Now that we're alone, let's start the show. Hey, hi, sex nerds. I'm in Philadelphia right now in the bedroom of the fabulous Timmy Lee. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? I'm excellent. It is Timmy Lee, right? Uh, on Facebook. Uh, Dr. Timmy, Timmy, it depends on the context. Whatever is fine. Okay, because I also, I mean, I know that uh, you teach at Widener University and they call you Dr. Something Else. I mean, for the most part, they, they actually do call me Dr. Timmy because it's like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? I don't know, someone calls you Dr. Schmidt. Uh, I mean, they can do that too. That's fine. How many, how many last names do you have? I only have the one, but Lee is actually my middle name, and it was my Facebook name, and then I, you know, you know how these things work. So I shouldn't call you Dr. Lee. I should call you Dr. Timurie or Dr. Schmidt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Okay. You can call me anything you like, baby. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which is interesting because the context of us meeting was um, at a bar where you were about to perform burlesque. Um, which is fantastic um, because I wouldn't think of a burlesque performer as also having a PhD in human sexuality and teaching at the uh, fabulous Widener University. So it's like this wonderful, like it's inspiring to me because I like to enjoy all the aspects of myself, you know, so to see all of that in package, like you're pretty bold as a human being. Well, I'm I'm lucky. I'm fortunate because um, there are burlesque performers who have uh, professional jobs who have much more prestigious jobs. And the challenge is um, they could lose those jobs very easily. There are lots of teachers who, um, when their burlesque, either past or present, is discovered, will lose their jobs. If you're working with a high school population or elementary school, or and the same thing for like porn stars, not that burlesque and porn are the same thing, but to the folks who object to a burlesque performer teaching would also object to porn star. Um, I am fortunate because what I study is specifically like, hey, you can have sex and you can be sexy and you can be sexual and still also be a capable human being. Those things are not disparate. And in fact, what we would like you to do is to be able to have sex with someone, to see them naked and still respect them as a human. Like, <laughs> imagine that they would also have other facets to them. What a world. It's... It's possible. It's possible. So tell me about you. So, I mean, I mentioned that you teach at Widener, but what's your background? And um, I know you host your own podcast, all these things. It's like uh, Podcasters Unite this week. Yeah, it's like it, – it's it's part of uh, the phenomenal community around Philly of uh, sex educators. This is like – you, can, you can't swing a stick without hitting somebody who does something cool in sexuality in Philly – in parts of town, anyway. Um, yeah, so my, my deal is that I moved to Philadelphia specifically to get my doctorate in human sexuality. Uh, my background is uh, in both psychology and hip-hop dance, because why not? Um, and while I was in grad school and studying, just developing interests of mine, I got into different types of dance, and I got into fitness education, um, and I started doing the podcast with my producer uh, and my friend Nathan um, and I've been like a sex columnist for a billion thousand years and, um, I have a sex ed comedy show and just like everything that sounds interesting, why not do it basically? And all like lots of things are interesting to me. 
Were you um, into human sexuality from way back, like even as a kid? Or when did it start where you're like, oh, this is interesting. I want to pay attention more to this. Oh, yeah. I was definitely, I, I am of the same sort of stories you'll hear from a lot of people where like I was a little kid and, and the moment that I would hear about any of this stuff, it was like a light bulb went off. And when I found anything in the library pertaining to Greek sex behaviors or, you know, the art history books where there's lots of naked ladies or... um of course, you know, the period books I would, you know, take out over and over and over again because I wanted to make sure I understood everything, <laughs> you know, like, what if I miss something? Um, and it wasn't even going to be relevant to my personal life for a while. Um, but yeah, I'm just, yeah, always have been fascinated and always have been confused by the fact that it wasn't the same sort of thing for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and when I decided to go into sexuality professionally, uh, it was the moment that I found out such a thing was possible. And it was it still is confusing to me why not everyone wants to do that job well that's a good sign it means you're obsessed enough to really go for the gold i hope so i hope that it means long-term sustainability <laughs> that's the idea otherwise i have a lot of student loans for no goddamn reason <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah oh, here's a question okay i'm you know you're east coast i'm west coast i feel like we together we we form like, like our brains form like the community of uh, sex education in this country like you know a lot of people over here i know a lot of people over there oh and i and i know some midwest representation too like shout out lisa schultz back in nebraska like you know <laughs> there's there's a there's a contingent in the middle of the country too so um and and folks are yeah folks are all connected by this shared love of being weirdos who talk about sex yeah right so um, I definitely, we already planned out, like, there are certain topics that I really want to ask you about. But first, okay, putting our brains together. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of people who ask, I, um, I, Sandra, I'm so inspired. I want to be part of this. And you know, exactly, like, why doesn't everybody want to do this? Well, there are people who want to do this. Mm -hmm. How do I become a sex educator? How do I do this? And I feel a certain amount of... I don't want to burst their bubble because I know that feeling of absolute joy when it comes to finding a passion. But in terms of the job market, in terms of sustainability, in terms of paying your bills, it's it's pretty limited field, it feels like. Um, what have you noticed on your side of the country? <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, but I also would say that every market is kind of limited now because of the economy and, and the fact that you could have gone into software engineering and be having a hard time getting a job now, too. So go do what you want to do. Um, and the thing about sexuality is, uh, professionally, it's it's antithetical to the old economy. The old economy was like, you do X, you do Y, you do Z, then you get this job and it pays this amount every year. And this is not one of those jobs, um, with with very few exceptions there are not a lot i mean maybe if you just want to work at a planned parenthood the rest of your life you might be able to just do that that sort of thing and and i mean their funding's always in question sometimes too but um do whatever the fuck you want really and um that that also means that you can blaze your own path that does not currently exist that's the other nice thing um and this is the opposite of med school where you know you get you get told exactly what to do and everybody goes at the exact same pace and that sort of thing. You do what you want 
at a pace that's going to work for you to go follow the particular interest that you have. And it's also antithetical to law school where you're competing with the people that you're um, going into the field with. Instead, sexuality is very collaborative and you'll only be successful if you want to be collaborative. Like if you like the people you work with and you consider them resources. Um, so you have to know that about yourself. And um, and But if you're interested in it, you like do it you know you're not you're not taking safe path but i don't think that a safe path exists anymore well that's a great way to put it but what is the path we've got phd human sexuality people we've got people with masters in human sexuality with people who are um trained therapists or social workers and they add the human sexuality component after it's there are so many ways to work in human sexuality you can train um medical professionals you can uh teach kids you can teach teenagers you can be at colleges you can go to different colleges you can teach at a certain college like you do um, but you also teach at different colleges right um i give speeches at colleges right. and i also i teach aside from sexuality i also teach like pe <laughs> <laughs> wait pe in college yeah there's like it's required of undergrads to take one credit which is two courses so i also teach like aerobics and kickboxing and pilates like just everything that's why you're so fit it's it's a side effect of the job i have to work out all day yeah <laughs> awkward i realize Obje <laughs> i'm objectifying my guest it's weird i shouldn't do that um but no it is there is a certain fantasy in my life of what can i do where i can exercise and it can be my job yeah, that's a thing. That totally exists. That's absolutely a thing. And I would recommend doing it part-time because that's more sustainable to like do it like one class a day rather than like the six a day that I do. Because uh, I don't think this is going to work forever. Like if something happened, I'm knocking, I'm knocking on wood right now. If something happened, like an injury, like I would be, I would be sunk for a while. So, so be realistic about that. But it is very, very possible. It's very doable. Yeah. I think everything's possible. Everything is possible. Yeah. Basically. Everything's possible. Everything. Everything. All the things. All of the things. So what are some... <laughs> so beside um, the classic healthcare and education um, institutions, what are other things that you've seen in terms of how a sex educator can go about um, with a career? Well, there's um, a perfect example that comes to mind is uh some of the work that's being done around clitoracy like um her, her name just fell literally out of my brain um she's oh the art exhibit in new york um is it new york i was feeling like it was la i don't know oh i thought it was in new york and i totally didn't get around to seeing it Ooh. well she was doing the clit rodeo and it's just she's got a whole series of projects that are just all about raising awareness of the fact that clits are the primary source of sexual pleasure for for women and like why why are they so under recognized and undiscussed and all of those sort of things and and she's got these great posters and like t-shirts and there was a clit rodeo and and you're writing on the full clit not just the external part that you can see but the whole starship enterprise that's <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic yeah so like you can be an artist and a sexuality educator um you can be a person who does research like if you're more comfortable with like numbers and math you could definitely be a researcher who does i mean hiv prevention comes to mind immediately but really anything um 
there's definitely government policy shaping and writing. Um, if you're good at grant writing, I mean, you could hook up other people who are doing more direct work. Um, it's really because sexuality touches on every other subject. You could combine your your strengths in other subjects with sexuality in any field is is ultimately what I would want to drive home. That rather than being like, these are the things that you should do, be more like, what am I already good at? How can I make it sex related? Like you're a dancer, so you ha you put together a show that's all about some kind of sexuality thing that's interesting to you about sexual identity or whatever. And um, don't worry about the safe job part because, I mean, yeah, also worry about safe job. Part. <laughs> also, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah. Okay. There, have a side job. <laughs> Work retail. I don't know. Wait. Oh, I thought you were referencing don't worry about losing your main job because you're working in sexuality. Um, but I feel like you can also just relationship health, I feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of like relationship coaches. And if you don't want to do specifically clinical practice, you could still do workshops with couples or individuals. Um, there was a company I worked for for a while that was just doing um skype counseling sessions uh with people who are anywhere around the world and and doing just that basic like normalizing and ha being a place where somebody has a impartial third person to just listen and hear what's going on and that in and of itself just that conversation can be really helpful um and you, you know but you still do have the very well paved paths of like clinical sexology and um things like that as well so you know if you want something more stable that's still there too mm -hmm. but even more stable um when you have that type of training it's finding a place like it's and i think it's asking yourself if you want to clock in every day hmm. or if you're more of an entre entrepreneur if you want to create your opportunities you know yeah because i used to be more of a clocker inner and now i've kind of turned into more of an entrepreneur i've found that's a really good point because there are there are many folks that I know whose whose place where they shine is number two in line, where someone else is ultimately in charge, even if that person is still making the vast majority of decisions, um, just knowing that there's someone else who is El Capitan, like, is liberating. Um, and maybe it's sort of a little bit of a, a sub thing. I don't know. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, knowing that about yourself, whether you can be self-directed enough to run your own business, mm -hmm. like to be um, just this freewheeling, like I'm going to just do workshops and lectures and get hired piece by piece. And can you ultimately hold down that schedule? Can you be responsible for self-promotion? Like know that about yourself. Yeah, I'm learning things on this tour. Oh, I'm learning things. You're doing fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, no, it's not about not doing fine. It's more learning about which parts of going on tour do I like, the others oh. which I am not comfortable with, like booking guests. I hate booking guests. I hate it so much. Why? Why do you hate it? I think it's just there's so many decisions, so many little decisions, and so many little like, just topics and little things. It's it's much easier, much more enjoyable when you've got someone to kind of bounce ideas off of when, you, when you're driving your own ship. It's just, it's different, but I've grown into it. It's definitely a, a skill. 
it's, I realize that it's not just an inborn trait that you have or don't have. It's something that you grow into. So I'm learning. I have one of those. I have a Nathan. And Nathan uh, is the the genius behind my podcast. He came to me. He was like, let's do a podcast. I was like, I don't know anything about podcasting. He's like, you don't have to. And so he does all the um, all the electronic stuff. For the most part, he finds most of the guests. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a collaboration of our mutual strengths. And we have this fantastic Venn diagram of the shit that we're bad at, like the other one is okay at. So, um, yeah, you you need you need a Nathan. I totally need a Nathan. Uh, Nathan Karuna. Yeah. Karuna? That's how yeah. I say it. Yeah. Yeah, he's a filmmaker um, and just general, like, artisan slash engineering type. No, that's good. He made you a trice. No, uh... oh my God. What's which? He. The best, <laughs> the best Tyrannosaurus Rex costume I think that exists uh, in anyone's basement uh, is in this house right now. It's it's not just a Tyrannosaurus costume; it's a Tyrannosaurus burlesque costume, and it is meant to be torn apart by someone wearing a pterodactyl burlesque costume <laughs> that he also made, all entirely out of green yoga mats. It's ridiculous. That's pretty. I'm- kind of jealous about that well maybe i can uh i can find the pterodactyl one the pterodactyl one would be your size <laughs> oh let's fight yeah that's what i'm saying, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> there's also a simian in this room i feel like there'd be some kind of performance art thing happening i don't know oh no i fell over oh no I'm, Ooh. i'm gonna just i fell over and i'm just gonna stay down here now for about four and a half minutes <laughs> then i'll get back up <laughs> is that how long it takes uh no, I, that was hyperbolic. They, I mean, that's that's actually the the average time for a woman to masturbate to orgasm. I think on her own, um, the Sibian actually encourages you to stay on there for longer and go for multiples and like push through, and uh, you know, like not take breaks in between. So they would be more for um, endurance. I would. I never realized until I came into this house and was told. So many things about Sibians I didn't know before. A Sibian is a sex machine that twirls inside you and vibrates and just keeps twirling and keeps vibrating and twirling and vibrating and twirling and vibrating. <laughs> it's it's pretty significant piece of equipment. Like it is it is thirty five pounds. Uh, the thing costs like thirteen hundred dollars. It it's supposed to last like for a lifetime. Like this is not this is not just your like bullet that's just exciting. This is a whole this is a whole thing. This is the Cadillac of <laughs> of sex machinery. I don't know. Jealous. Want to know all the things? Um, I do. Since you're, I mean, you're a fitness instructor. You're a human sexuality professor. And you have a passion for how sex and fitness intersect. Definitely. And you have danced uh, hip-hop and burlesque, which is... I mean, there's so many levels to your skills. I'm highly impressed at. Oh, I'm blushing. You can't tell. I'm blushing. Okay. Oh, blush. You're glowing. It's beautiful. Sparkles. <laughs> Just sparkles emit from my cheeks. But... I mean, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording about how, well, like burlesque, for instance, uh, you mentioned that most folks, when they ask you about that, uh, they start on the whole conversation about um, how can you be a feminist and burlesque dance? 
Yeah, that definitely comes up a lot. And and it also could be that I'm very outspoken about being a feminist. So for some people, it's a bizarre intersection. And I also just get asked, how can you be a professor? And sometimes the question will be like, why would you do burlesque if you have this other job? And it's like, why would you not? And and the question for me is, um, is yeah, why would you do burlesque at all? And for me, it's because I, I love it. I enjoy it. Um, not only do I enjoy just like dance and performance in general, I mean, I could be up there performing whatever and probably be pretty happy about that. But burlesque in particular enables you to just capture in in just a little bottle form your like sexual nature and um how can you express a a narrative of like a sexual story because that's what it i mean the origins of burlesque if you go way back we could go on about that too about how burlesque is really ultimately about the history of women in theater and how being a woman on stage was considered whoredom, you know, and then it just it escalated where, you know, you show your ankles oh, and then, it you know, it moves on to today where it's like the sexy striptease. And so now it's modern incarnation for me is that you tell a short story of 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 sex and, you know, it can be it can be ridiculous. I love the ones that are ridiculous, hence the dinosaur costumes. Um, or it could just be something that for for just a moment living out the the manifestation of your internal sexual drive and like making other people in the room feel that and that's the thing about a burlesque performance is that you're supposed you're doing it for these people and and you're going to give that to them and they're going to give back to you like applause and possibly dollars and um it's a totally consensual positive sexual experience like in that way not every burlesque performance is sexy and not every burlesque performer thinks of it as being like a sexual act but anytime a woman takes off her clothes in public is a political act certainly and that's a heavy statement that i'm not sure i understand oh well i mean women's bodies being public domain is a sort of thing and like we talk about uh, how women's clothing is so much more responsible for what happens to them than any of the other factors that go into it. Like if a woman gets sexually assaulted, the question, what was she wearing is somehow more relevant than what the, uh, what the attacker had been doing prior to that, you know, mm-hmm. um, women's bodies being, uh, considered something that we can control and cover and uncover at our, at our discretion. Like, Political, just the term political, because mm-hmm. I've debated this with, like, I have okay. a political sci friend. Like, he was telling me over and over, like, what you do is highly political. I'm like, no, I'm just trying to feel feelings and then exploring <laughs> the world. What are you talking to me? Like, no, really. And what does it mean when you say it's political? Political meaning it's a public domain, it's a, for trying to create change or that it's affecting the public discourse in the room. Like, what does it mean? All, all of those things. It absolutely means all of those things. Um, I would probably be of the same opinion as your friend that, like, all things are politics in much the same way that I think all things are sex. Like, because it intersects with every other facet. So the fact that what you do for your public persona is to talk about sexuality is incredibly subversive to some people oh snap i'm dangerous you are you're you are a flipping loaded weapon am i allowed to cuss i didn't you're know you're so flipping loud okay <laughs> i'm so flipping loud okay um yeah so 
you know, to to somebody who finds sexuality incredibly dangerous, the kind of people who would write letters to the FCC about a nipple accident, you know, getting flashed during the Super Bowl, the kind of people that, you know, waxed on and on about Miley Cyrus for days, days after the Weeks, VMAs. Feels yeah, like. <laughs> it's been going on forever. <laughs> no one has ever been naked in a music video before. Um, yeah, so like to to people that. Um, find nudity or public discussions of sex who find the idea of sexual identities beyond you know heterosexual who find anything except for vanilla procreative sex to be acceptable which is not an insignificant number of people it is a substantial part of america whether they um are people that we run into or not um to them what we are doing is like actively subversive we are transgressive all of the time just by our existence, by the fact that like you are known as a sex nerd is a act of rebellion in the eyes of many people. And there are the people who are like fist up, like, yeah, I am being subversive. And then what about, like, I feel like I'm just being normal. Like, and just like, no, no, I, I am not outside the norm. No, this is absolutely normal. And this is, deeply in my joy and i'm just a regular girl who likes oreos and having fun like it i feel so unpolitical this it's just it's not even a question i'm just kind of it's an interesting thing we're totally off topic though because you miss burlesque dancer i'm curious not about the political aspect i mean it's all interesting yes but <laughs> but i find it fascinating that so much of the conversation that you mentioned is about the politics of burlesque dancing was for me it's about like i used to take belly dance a lot it's all of my friends who would say oh i could never do that i could never do that oh wow sandra like that's so great that you do that i oh no i'm too afraid my curiosity is about those people um and what is it about a a, a class uh, a dance class some people are terrified of dance classes in general mm -hmm. and you're a fitness instructor and a dance teacher and a dancer what is it about people being afraid of using their bodies for expression? What is that? I have that exact same question. I mean, I would I would turn around to your friend and be like, why can you not take the class? What is the fear? Oh, I can't move like that. Not the first day, maybe. But you are physically capable of it. I I would look stupid. Um, Probably not, because most people are going to be looking at themselves, for one thing. Um, and... In reality, we are our own harshest critics. And also, why would you expect to be immediately good at anything? The expectation of dance being something that you're either able to do or unable to do is, is bizarre. Because uh, like any skill with practice, it gets not only easier to do physically, but also mentally. So like um, dance class is just, it's just jumping into the deep end of a pool. It's really not that big of a deal once you do it. But like, if you've never done it before, it's like, what? But have you seen people bloom and grow or crop break down and cry? Oh my God. Yes. I mean, and that's part of why I love the job, like fitness instruction in general, but dance specifically, I get to see this awakening in people who come in and they're like nervous and they're giggly and they're like so convinced that they're not gonna be able to follow steps or whatever their concerns are. And the first thing I do is I turn on a little light over in the corner and I turn off the rest of the lights. So we're in the darkness, right? So immediately it just changes the whole ambiance. And it, 
not only can you just not see yourself in this glaring, unflattering light, but also it just sort of is reminding you of times that you have absolutely danced before. You've gone into the club and at some point you felt compelled to like get up and actually feel your human body. And what does it feel like to move in these ways? And it's pleasurable. Like, moving in those ways. Now, I get off on it in a way that not everybody does. Like, to me, dancing is, like, witchcraft. It's just, like, this full extension of everything about my human body and my connection to the universe. Not everybody needs to have that. But what you do have is, like, the endorphins that are rushing through your body, and you're moving in ways that are organic to you, that feel good to your muscles that tap you into the music so there's like an artistic side to it and there's there's plenty of like neurology evidence of what's going on in your brain when that's happening Ooh, science yeah so one of the things that'll happen if you're moving in concordance with somebody else you're moving synchronized with other people your brains will start working similarly you'll start believing similar things and you'll uh, be more likely to have like a, a united uh, sense of identity I've noticed that if I'm dancing with a partner and we're swaying, I mean, it's so it feels almost silly, yet, but there's something magical that happens when you're dancing to music together, and, I, and it, it's, it feels sexy to Marie. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much science to bear that out. Like, what the music is doing to you, what the synchronized music, the movement is doing to you, and then being in that closer proximity with someone is not common in daily life in in western american culture um and the amount of eye contact that might go along with it too can be incredibly disconcerting to people uh so it's you know you got your adrenaline going because it's just scary and like what's gonna happen are we gonna make out like you know there's so many like it to me it it has that whole primal thing because dance goes back to as long as humanity has existed in a civilized form and like um or pre-civilized um and it really is. Well, why would a town ban dancing? Why would why would a culture be opposed to dancing? Footloose, right? Exactly. That is a thing that is real. Um, there are places that it's just like dancing is not okay or only certain people are allowed to do it because of the power of that like, and, and the expressiveness of it and owning your body and doing things simply because it feels good. Ah, uh, totally feels good. So... I'm I'm feeling your passion for this. So let me ask you this because it's all connected. Okay. Passionate about the dancing. You find it pleasurable. It's a empowering witchcrafty thing that I wish everyone would enjoy. Not everyone dances, but can dance help you when it comes to the bedroom? Without question. Without question. And I would apply that to fitness in general also. Uh, yeah, because uh, I was going to ask you next about Pilates and stuff. So like all of the work in your body and how it relates so when people ask like what workout they should do um what is the right workout to do i say the one that you like that you'll go back to um what i personally also suggest is where you take something that's sort of a mind body connection maybe a pilates a yoga um and dance would also be an example of that where you have to really inhabit your body and be part of it some workouts are all about disassociation. I'd say that in many ways, like a spinning class is just about surviving it. Oh, do you mean where you're you're feeling the burn so you have to kind of um, go out of body exactly. to tolerate it? Yeah, exactly. Where you're, you're trying to keep up, you know, antics in your brain so that you can just stay there. Because uh, if you actually really feel what's going on in your legs, you're going to stop. You know, that sort of thing. I'm one of those people. 
Okay. Yeah. So, um, like a like a boot camp, you know, some of those sort of classes. That's that's that is one way to work out. Um, but I also think that that should be augmented or, um, you know, sort of in conjoinment with. I don't know what word I'm looking for. Um, along with, how about that? How about along with a mind-body connection thing um, where you really, really are inhabiting your human body and being like, what are all the things that I'm feeling? And getting used to what does it feel like when I have good form? And then you're more likely to just be aware of how you exist in space and you're aware of what feels good and what doesn't. And part of that is like so that you can make healthy movements that'll be like, strength building as opposed to movements that are going to like hurt your knee or something um and through those classes just being aware of what your body feels like and then you start to feel proud of your body for what it does rather than what it looks like and that has a really positive effect because then you're like i'm fucking hot because i can like do this thing and i just saw myself do this thing and i just felt what it felt like to accomplish that thing and it's not about whether or not your genes are a certain size it's about like that's awesome that I just did that and that I'm all covered in sweat and makes me glisteny and, you know. Become a verb instead of a noun. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I like it. A human <laughs> being. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and and there's so much of, like, Pilates, to go back to that specifically, that has direct correlation to sex. Like, shoulder bridges. Perfect example. Like, What's a shoulder bridge? Is that, like, on your back with where you're, like sticking your butt up in the air or your pelvis in the air exactly yeah so you're you're pressing your weight into your shoulders and into your heels and your hips are lifted and you're you're inherently doing like pelvic floor work there which is important not only so that you don't pee yourself when you're older um and you can recover if you've had a baby but it's also like all of the muscles that you're squeezing when you have something in your vagina or if you are a person who has a penis they would be muscles that you squeeze when you're thrusting uh into someone so um, these are muscles that you use during sexual acts and in Pilates, you're strengthening them and you're, uh, in a, in a shoulder bridge, you're working the same kind of muscles you might want to use during, uh, like a, like a shoulder bridge could just straight up be a sexual position. You could have like a, an insertive partner, like kneeling in front of you between your legs and then you're up in a shoulder bridge. And if you're able to sustain that on your own, it's actually much more enjoyable than if you just stuff a bunch of pillows under your butt. Like... Mm-hmm that people you know who are familiar with that experience where you're like oh put some pillows underneath there and then you hit that spot and it feels really good if you're holding it on your own and you're squeezing those muscles it feels better than if really yeah better than if like you're being passively held up because you'll hit those spots but if you're squeezing to make it happen it's it's a more intense thing Hmm. and you can control it to a better degree as well so like you know, pillows are, are not like small things, so it'll get you exactly where you want to go if you are the one actually picking the angle and holding it. You can be more precise and you can also move more. Um, and and the endurance of it, being able to last longer in any of these weird poses, etc. And definitely there is a whole category of sexual positions that are for the Olympian athlete, I've noticed. I mean, for me because part of it is referencing my own body's experience the the pelvic lift i can hold that but it just feels different i don't necessarily find it better but it's different like engaging all those muscles depending on how i'm feeling that day can be fabulous and sometimes i do like just relaxing and having a pillow under but there is something to that where you can hold what is it in bdsm when you're forced to hold a position like it's part of the rules Oh, um, I'm not, um, 
thinking of uh hmm. I'm not the person to ask on that. <laughs> oh man, know. what is it? It's um yeah, where it's like spread your legs and like bend over and then stay in that position. But of course you'd need to be flexible enough and kind of capable enough to be able to do that. Um it would I mean it would definitely lend itself to that. Yeah. If you wanted to be like a sub and get told to do crazy crap, it would it would enable you to do that. Yeah, absolutely. But for I mean, it doesn't have to be BDSM necessarily, yeah. but making yourself stay in a position while something's happening to you or so that while you're doing it. Because also, even if the person's strapping on or penis owner and they're on bottom and thrusting up, to be able to thrust up over and over again with somebody over you, I mean, that's... Same muscle groups. It's the yeah. exact same thing. It's the, the pubic coccyx muscles. And um, I absolutely suggest men do kegels as much as women do. And uh, to go back to the shoulder bridge thing also, if you are the person holding it, it's great. And then also the person who might be in front of you between your legs, you can grab on to the person in the shoulder bridge's ass and then you have this whole thing to hold on to. And you can't see this because of the podcast, but I'm humping the air Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, (laughs) it really is (laughs) I'm continuing to do it now. Um, Yeah. So you, you can grab onto an actual ass and like more movement and you don't. It's just the drama of pillows and then having to wash them it goes away <laughs> i don't know there's and there's a lot like that that are that are totally doable even if you're not like crazy flexible or super strong um i mean even thinking about how cowgirl could be changed if rather than having your knees um uh, cow person uh-huh. sorry okay yeah that's fair um <laughs> Rather than being like balanced on your knees and your shins, if you're in a squat position, if you can sustain that, which is ultimately what you're advertising when you're when you're twerking properly, not Miley Cyrus twerking, which is not real. Um, when you're when you're down in that low squat to sustain that, and you're doing that boop boop, and again, I'm doing the humping, and you can't see it, but that little booty pop move, that is a sexual act. That is why we do that on the dance floor to advertise that I can do this. Like, so do some more dropping like it's hot, and then. Than do it in real life. I, you know, can, I would like to take a moment to talk about twerking for a moment. Oh, please. Absolutely. Because I don't feel like Miley Cyrus way back when was twerking necessarily. Like she was kind of shaking it. But I feel like twerking, I've seen that in gay bars across, across America, just boys that can booty pop. And I've seen people in like dance hall videos doing that forever. Like twerking is this. She certainly well, she certainly didn't invent it. No, I mean it's silliness that it's now. I think it's jumped the shark at this point because <laughs> first of all, what she did was not that. She leaned over and did like a shake. She exactly. did a shimmy. That was a shimmy. That's not even that's that's an old burlesque move. Actually, the shimmy is from you know hundred years ago, uh, and twerking has sort of just gotten like sort of mixed into booty pop and also like they're the same thing when they're not like twerking. Uh, my understanding was that it had more to do with isolations of the individual butt cheeks like that boom 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 one cheek than the other and now all the videos of like people doing it who you know they hop upside down and so their ass is in the air and they're doing a handstand and they're just booty popping which is a different thing just pel- pelvic um like yeah, tucking your butt under and popping it out thrust, yeah. yeah this is a little tilt thrust tilt thrust tilt thrust or it could just be like based on what you're doing with your feet and then you just let your your ass bounce up and down is another way to do it but um all of those things just sort of got mixed in together into this big old pot and in many ways i feel like it's kind of like what happened in the harlem shake where people don't actually know what it used to be in order to say what that's not the same thing I have opinions about the Harlem Shake, yes, because even 
even more than the bastardization of twerking, the fact that the Harlem Shake was, I love the Harlem Shake. I mean, I know people would like, just stop busting it out at some point. The, like, the, the original? original? The actual, like, yeah, the the uh, alternating shoulders yeah. up and down, like, up at the ears. And some people made it goofy, and some people, like, really kind of like, gave it some swag. You know, everybody gave it a little bit of something different. Like, the Harlem Shake's a lot of fun, and you can do a lot of different things with it. Yeah. And then, somehow, it became... A viral video sensation where people just sort of had seizures. <laughs> Not yeah. okay. Well, I, I I've gone back and forth on that because I I understand the argument of first racial appropriation because there's definitely like an element there because the the viral videos were for the most part white people doing that and the dude that made that song is like a white dude from from West Philadelphia, uh, and the people that are doing that don't actually know anything about the history of the dance and. And how it has like a long specific history of like hip hop and black community. And that's just sort of what music always does. We take from people of color and then white mainstream culture like has this other version of it. But on the other hand, like the Harlem Shake was not, um, you know, like, you know, like this important tribal religious thing, you know. So like don't like don't get super upset that it that the name got applied to something else. Like I go back and forth over that because like. Everything changes names all the time, you know? I mean, I'm not going to assume that every person who is on YouTube doing a real Harlem Shake knows the, who happens to be African-American, actually knows the history of the Harlem Shake. Absolutely. Very good point. Like, it's a little, it's a little patronizing to act like everyone in Harlem is a really good dancer, you know? <laughs> like, But I mean, I don't know. It's like taking the Cabbage Patch and calling it the Macarena. Like, it's just, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's the cabbage patch I- i've always thought of the cabbage patch to be like that whoop like arms going around like 90s dance oh, yeah it was an example of taking oh, okay. a different type of movement and then sure. naming it something else that's the macarena which has its own illustrious history okay. i'm sure somebody's written about it um like whoever came up with it originally is never going to get props is going to happen regardless you know anything that gets really popular but um, I find it as a, you know, just for simplicity of language, like that we have a shared idea of what we're talking about. And the same thing comes up in sex all the time. Like, what do you mean when you say that word? Like, uh, like hooking up is used to describe everything. And like, when you say vagina, do you really mean vagina or do you mean vulva? Like stuff like that. We were, you and I were debating, um, saying hookup as oh, a, yeah. yo, yeah, let's, we'll hook up later. And for me, I'd be like, should I bring some condoms? And then you're like, no, it's just friend stuff. I'm or like, be like, I'm also a sex educator. I have plenty. Don't worry. <laughs> like, this place is stocked for for any and all hurricane seasons, etc. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, if I'm ever in Philadelphia during a hurricane. Off topic. <laughs> um, we are so all over the place. But I, I'm really enjoying the dance conversation the fitness thing so i getting back to the dance and what people can do to help incorporate some level of fitness and because i am also i mean i'm a i'm a slender-ish person but i am a very soft human like i am not i do not have the musculature of someone who is a sex god um and i don't work out uh, or I will for a little bit and then I stop. I mean, so 
but I have a long history of dance and fitness in my past. So, I mean, I can bust out and go to a dance class. But for somebody who just doesn't, aren't, isn't necessarily connected with their body, who's never taken a dance class, never taken a fitness class, what would be some awesome things that they can do and walk in where it'd be easy, simple, maybe there'd be a lot of compassion in the room, just and friendly that people can can get into their body, do that. What were you saying earlier about how, like, whatever types of fitness and dance classes where you can, instead of trying to run away from what, what's happening to your body, like a spinning class, ones where you can really get in con- connection with your body. Also for guys and gals, since oh. some are really gendered. Yeah, it's, well, it's unfortunate that it, in in fitness in general, there's a, there's sort of a gender thing. And I've tried to talk to men about, um, I just want to address that first, like why they don't go to fitness classes. Spinning, they'll go to uh, like a CrossFit, they'll go to maybe a kettlebell class, um, boot camps perhaps, but dance is intimidating to a lot of men and Pilates and yoga can be as well. Uh, there are definitely men that go to those things, no no doubt. Uh, the folks that I've talked to who have a problem or they think there might be a problem going to it, they say things from, I don't want people to look at me to, I don't know where I'm supposed to look because I don't want people to think that I'm there to be a creep. And like when everybody's doing a shoulder bridge, where am I supposed to look? Like that's not going to be creepy. And it's, it's sad because I mean, there, there are many ways men are limited by sexism. Also like for a guy to go to a park where there's little kids hanging out, you know, it seems weird too in the same way. Um, but in dance class, there's lots, there are still lots of options for men. And Zumba is a perfect example that always usually will, will get some, some dudes in there. Really? I know, I've never been to a Zumba class. I actually, I imagine it seems sort of Brazilian-like, but I don't actually know what Zumba is. Oh, well, yeah. It was created by a South American dude named Beto. And it's like a, a cult now, a world, what is a religion. It should be technically considered a religion. Um, and it's worldwide. It's based on like uh, Latin rhythms with like emphasis on other world music. So you have to play um, like a certain percentage of the songs have to definitely be from outside of American mainstream music. Although you can include like a random hip hop song here and there. Um, and it's just one of many brands of dance classes. There's flirty girl fitness. I have a flirtification. Um, Wait, you have flirtification. I have a flirtification. What is flirtification? Uh, flirty girl fitness is a particular brand of fitness. They did pole dancing and chair dancing. And then they started, uh, they used to sell, they might probably still sell videos. Um, I used to see the ads for them periodically on TV. Uh, but yeah, just like flirty dancing style. So you're getting cardio while being video vixeny is the idea. Um, so there's lots, there, there are so many brands and then just individual instructors will make up their own thing. If you, gym culture now i think is more friendly than it used to be Mm -hmm. i think that it's more important to gyms that they make you feel like you're okay regardless of who you are and where you're coming from um and it's important to maintain a culture where everybody is there for good reasons so uh if you've had a bad experience at a gym before go to a different one um or go back later and try it again it might be better so all those fears are realistic not to say that they're not there are definitely crappy people who go to the gym specifically because it makes them feel better to look at somebody who is not as far along on their fitness path um but go and just try and if you don't like it you don't have to go back but if you do like it you're going to find something that pays you back 
exponentially. So I would just say just keep going to whatever you like going to. And whatever you like doing is the right thing for you to go to. Um, if it makes you feel more comfortable, go talk to the instructor ahead of time and be like, oh, I've never done this before. And they might have some pointers like, go stand in that corner. Like, you know, you'll be able to see everybody and they won't see you. Like, whatever. Now, have you had students whisper in your ear like, Demarie, this totally is helping my sex life. Like, have you gotten feedback from friends or... I'm just curious on what what any stories of people who've experienced things that they hadn't before after they started working out. Absolutely. I mean, it ranges from uh, those glorious things where, like, you see a dude who came into the gym. He's, like, 60-some years old who just had, you know, a heart attack and a bunch of surgeries. And now he's going to try spinning for the first time. And I'll tell him, all right, you last as long as you can. You take breaks when you need to. If you need to leave early, you need to leave early. You know, just do do your best. Challenge yourself and listen to your body. Six months later, he's doing decline push-ups, like with his feet up on a box, right? Six months later, this is a dude who just had a heart attack. He's, you know, and just like, he's like, okay, for real, this is the only body I'm going to get. I better take care of it. And then also just stories of like, so that chair dance you taught us. Uh, yeah, I went home and I and I did that while my my boyfriend was sitting on the chair. I'm like, yes, you know, just little stuff like that. So it's all over the place. It's like, um, you know, we took these moves to the dance club. Like I taught my friends, or it could be like, um, you know, you you've been making us do this or whatever. So now I've been getting compliments on my whatever body part, you know, for my <laughs> partner or whatever. That uh, physical changes being like all of my clothes fit again and it makes me feel good about myself one of the greatest moments of my adult life uh was when a student came up to me after a class and was like i don't i don't think i'm the only one who's told you this because i i i've heard other people say this but i just want to make sure just in case nobody had told you this class made me like my body oh Now that I can do this stuff and I'm proud of myself for what I can do and I used to like hate looking at it and it doesn't even necessarily have to look that different, but if you feel it and and you feel what it gives you and that you're in charge of it, like that level of ownership and knowing that it's your body, it's nobody else's and you can do whatever you want with it and it's there for you, but you have to take care of it. Like it's, it's the best present that you ever got and like... Um, like being able to like give people that experience because so much of modern life is not like that. It's like you sit in a car and you're totally zoned out and you like sit at a desk and you're living in the screen in front of you and you're on not in your body. Exactly. And on a phone and like everything is automated. So you never actually have to inhabit being a human. And that's really convenient. Like not having to like slave away just to survive. Like you know, our ancestors did, but it's sad because we miss out on the awesome and like being in a human body is incredibly pleasurable if everything is working right. And like part of making it work right is like that sort of like doing the right things for it. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you, if you like yourself, you'll do good things for you. And it, yeah, it's just this continual cycle. And one thing I remember, um, I actually, I interviewed the, um, what is it? I think the director of the sessions, mm-hmm. um, and he is um, 
I can't remember what it was, but he basically he uses crutches all the time. And one thing he said in the interview was, you know, it's not about if you get sick, it's when. Like everybody, oh, yeah. it's we're not always going to be healthy. And he, and it's like that guy with the heart attack. It's not until it hit him like, oh, this is the only body I get. Oh crap! Like let me start doing some push-ups. Um, in so in terms of since you, I mean, you have so many certifications when it comes to fitness classes. Like you talked to me about that before. Um, do you find that? working out through life really does keep the body healthy um or is is it like like in terms of aging i feel like some people like i'm i'm not that active i feel like some people it's like well it's that's just it, getting old and and so people don't necessarily relate um like all that cracking and like my body not being like it used to they just relate it to being old not to being out of shape um i will absolutely 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 contend that fitness is is one of the most integral parts to health long term and i know uh from lots of anecdotal evidence that this is the case i used to teach a zumba class it was six in the morning on like wednesdays and thursdays at a gym where the average student was like 78 years old and these bitches were ready to fucking roll at like 5 45 and they just sat there and they did like a little jog in place and a little march and like we're ready to go we're ready to go and then like <laughs> you know i'm like but we're still waiting for florence she's running late and they're like oh she'll show up you know and then we gotta get going we gotta do our zumba and i was like this this is what i'm talking about this is what old awesome looks like <laughs> you just like keep doing it and and i could speak for myself too there was a period in uh as an undergrad where i was just growing up and making all sorts of fun mistakes including not working out for a couple of years and i actually get carded more now than i did then um and my my students who are undergrads tend to think that i'm like their age until i tell them otherwise and that was not the case when i was their age oh really so like for me it's definitely had an, an anti-aging effect and um i went and got a physical and my doctor's like well here's the bad news i'm not gonna make any money off of you and i'm like cool and he's like you're uh the second person in my 35 years whose bad cholesterol is lower than their good cholesterol and i'm like I eat like crap. That's awesome. <laughs> so I absolutely will say that that fitness is. Uh, I mean, and if I don't work out for a couple of days, I feel sad, panda. Like I will go, I will feel in a funk, and I know exactly what it is that I'm missing. You do have a lot of positive energy. Like you're really positive and just alive. Oh, thanks. And I'm all like lethargic and like, oh, this torchy <laughs> girl. I'm like, oh, maybe I should get on that train. Well, th tomorrow you'll come with me, you'll do some aerobics, you'll do some kickboxing, you'll do Pilates, you'll feel better. Then when you're on a train, you'll sleep. All right. Okay. Um, last question. Can I do one more? Can I do one more? Absolutely. Okay. Mm, the idea that – I'm not even phrasing it like a question. But, <laughs> but there's this idea that skinny equals fit. Mm -mm. And so the idea that we're talking about all these fit – slender creatures at the gym or wherever and they're fabulous in bed um is that is that the case that you have to like to be in shape it just so happens that that also means that you you need to be at a certain fat percentage um uh, i couldn't disagree with that more vehemently i mean there overall there is a connection between uh body morphology and fitness there is that's undeniable and people who never work out 
um, long term will be will be heavier than those who do. That said, I know some big kids who come to my classes and work their asses off and I know how fit they are because I put them through the ringer and they survive it. And so I know that they are fit and their bodies are just bigger and they might have a higher body fat percentage than somebody comes in who never works out partly because they stay thin you know, because they just naturally are and they don't have the muscular endurance, they don't have the strength. And those those folks who have just been thin or just naturally were predisposed to look a particular way, uh, those are the ones who end up getting injured. Those are the ones who end up like when it suddenly hits them in 30-whatever, uh, that they have the much harder time getting uh, getting into the groove because they don't have like the basic muscle memory. They don't have the basic like understanding of of fitness and like how do you do a squat like i never had to do a squat before um and there's there's so many different ways that a healthy body can look and you know i don't think that i am a big person i'm tall but compared to a lot of dancers i'm huge um like i'll be in a dressing room and i will look amazonian i i am like the somebody just hired me to be like godzilla for one scene and it's it's silliness because compared to uh you know the general population whatever I'm I'm not that big but there is this expectation that only certain bodies are dancers only certain bodies are fit only certain bodies are allowed to be naked in public etc mm-hmm. and it's silliness it's abject silliness it's silly this is nonsense and every you know every type of body can be sexy and uh, you know be attracted to whatever the fuck you're attracted to you know, just do the best with whatever you were given because they're they're awesome for what they do, not what they look like. And also awesome for what they look like. <laughs> yeah, the end. <laughs> Amen. Stamp. All right. Okay. Well, I think I feel very inspired right now <laughs> to just holler, go team fun. <laughs> Thank you, Timurie. Where can people find you? Uh, so uh Facebook. Uh, I'm periodically on Twitter, Timory Lee, because there's a Timory that took up Facebook already or uh. Twitter already. Uh, and I'm on I'm on iTunes and um, I'm scattered about throughout Philadelphia doing various things. So if you're in Philly, come work out with me. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I had a blast. Ah, yay. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.